0: Good morning everyone. It's so good to see everyone today. I want to give a special welcome to our University of Oregon campus. We're so glad that you're here today joining us and you know I'm so excited to be able to speak to you guys today. We're in this series. It's been really fun on Loveology. Everything about relationships and today I get the privilege to talk to you about singleness (laughs) Thus, we have the one is the loneliest number song going on. And, you know, talking about singleness, I was, I was joking with my husband, Jake. He was like, would you want to speak one of these relationship messages? And I said, sure, uh, whichever one. You, know, you have a preference. Whichever one, you know. And he said, okay, how about singleness? And I said, oh, the hardest one. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jake. No, I'm just teasing. But, you know, when it comes to singleness in, in the United States, there's actually more single people today than there are married people. And this is from, you know, from age 16 and up. There are more single people in the United States today than there are married people. And this is the first time in our country that this has ever happened. And it's such a broad group of people right we have our young single people who you know they have the stars in their eyes and they're just hoping and waiting that's like a song right you know, they're waiting for you know someone to come along and sweep them off their feet they're just 16 going on 17 right and and those we have those kind of people we have people who have, have gone through divorce right from whatever circumstances maybe things they didn't expect to happen in their life but now they're single we have people who who have been widowed right and so there's all sorts of different people that when we talk about singleness that it encompasses and it's so many different ages. But I think as a church, there's, there's three things I was thinking about that all of us should agree. If you're single, if you're married, whoever you are, we should all agree that we need to stop saying to single people. All right, you guys ready for my top three things? We have to stop saying to single people. All the single people are like, come on, say the one I'm hoping for. Whatever it is, say the one I'm hoping for. But number one, are you still single? Can we all agree, we gotta stop saying this, right? I read a funny article where a guy, he was so tired of people coming up to him and saying, are you still single? that he started replying, are you still married? (laughs) Oh, all right. Number two, stop saying this. Why aren't you married yet? (laughs) Oh, I, you know, I have a, my, one of my best friends, she's married now, but she, she got married, um, when I think she was 27 or 28, and, um, I was actually standing with her at a, you know, conference kind of thing, and when someone came up to her and was talking to her, you know, and it, why aren't you married yet? And I just felt like melting into the ground. Like, why why are you asking her this? And just thinking in her head, she's probably thinking, I don't know. Apparently, if I knew, I wouldn't be not married, right? But why are you married yet? Could you clue me in? I would like to know why I'm not married yet. Correct? So let's stop saying that to single people. And the last one, do you even want to get married? (laughs) All right, so top three things. Is there anyone in the room that would say, yes, let's stop asking single people these questions? No one's going to clap because the single people are like, I'm not even pointing myself out, right? Well, they have a picture they're going to put up on the screen. Um, this is one of my very favorite pictures. You can't see it yet, apparently, Hopefully. Da-da! It will come. Nope. Okay. So this is one of my very favorite pictures as a kid. There you go. It's kind of hard to see. As a child, my parents, they were children's pastors and their uh, children's church was a little bit different because it was like a standalone. It had a church like that... um, oversaw it. It was its covering or whatever, but it wasn't even in the same building as an adult church. It was a children's only church, and it wasn't even on the property of the adult church. It was a pretty, really cool thing that they were doing, and so um, my mom and dad, they led this, and they reached a lot of really poor kids in California where we lived, and so this is how I grew up. In this picture here, it's my mom and my dad. They are doing, um, it's a, some sort of newspaper article where, where they're talking about the kids' church, and it might be hard to see, but there is a a little toddler who is ruining the picture. And that is me in that picture there. <laughs> and, and I love this picture because, um, you know, it's, it's just so funny. that I, I like the, my mom's expression where she's smiling, but you think she's, I, I kind of like to think that maybe she's thinking, what are you doing? You are ruining the picture, right? <laughs> Stop it. Act good. Pretend you're a good child, right? And, you know, saying all of those things. But the, the, um, this was my parents. This is how I grew up. Until I was about in third grade and um, because my parents reached a lot of really poor children they tried to do everything for cheap or for free really really dirt cheap and so every year they would try to do these kids camps but um, you know they had to do it really cheap and so they would do tents in a field so all of these kids you know over a hundred kids would come and they would camp I don't know how long it was <laughs> I would say a week, because that's what normal camps are, but I'm going to say it had to have only been like a couple days, because who's going to do that for that long? But we would, we would tent, or we would camp in, in these tents, and all these kids would come together, and I was my parents' daughter, but I wasn't old enough to be at the kids' camp. It was, um, I think it was five and up, and I wasn't old enough to come, but I got to come because where else were they gonna put me, right? And so um, I remember going to this kid's camp, I was very young, I was probably younger than five years old, and I didn't want anyone to realize, I didn't want any of the other kids to realize that I wasn't old enough to be at the camp. Now this is ridiculous, right? But, But kids do this all the time. They try to act like nobody knows that I'm a kid here. And you're like, yeah, we do, you are two feet tall and you can't speak quite right, so we, we know, right, that your impulse control doesn't work. Some of you guys are like, mine doesn't work either, but, but, but we always think, as little kids, we think like, no one's going to know that I'm a child, and so I remember being very sensitive to this fact. I don't want anyone to know I'm a kid, and I'm, I'm like a, a baby, basically, and I'm too young to be here, and so I had this gigantic... Um, panda bear, stuffed panda bear. And that's what I used as my bed at this camp. And um, so I would hug the panda bear and go to sleep and um, sleep on the panda bear. And I vividly remember this, that I woke up and it was kind of hot in my tent. You know, when you wake up and you know you slept in because your tent is all hot. And I hear the sound of all of these kids talking and laughing. And I remember waking up and I look around in my tent. My parents aren't there anymore. And I thought, oh no, I slept in, no one woke me up and they're all eating breakfast and now I'm gonna walk out there and everyone's gonna know I'm a baby. And I remember thinking that and being so embarrassed and so mortified and thinking all of these kids are gonna know that I'm a baby, right? Which is silly, they already knew that I was. But it was that isolated feeling that I felt And that's what I want to talk about today is the isolated feeling that we can feel when we're single and we're at church. And this is such a sad way to be because this is a disservice that we do to single people, to make them feel like because you're not married that you're isolated or because you're not married that you're not part. And so today I I hope that we can talk about these things and, and I hope that somehow I can make you feel like no matter what, no matter what stage of life that you're in, there is a place for you. There is a place for you here, and there's a place for you in God's kingdom. And so I I wrote down a couple little lies that are easy for single people to begin to believe. And the first lie is you're not married because, right? Now in in our life, so many times, for whatever reason, Either we were married and we're not now, or we haven't gotten married yet, we want to be married, or it just never was in the cards for us. And, but what the problem is is that sometimes we begin to fill in this blank. I'm not married because. I'm not married because I'm overweight. I'm not married because I'm too skinny. I'm not married because I'm too weird. I'm not married because I'm socially awkward. I'm not married because I'm shy. I'm not married because I'm too loud, right? I remember I I was, I got married young, and I didn't expect that to happen in my life. I honestly didn't think that I would ever get married. I don't know why, that's just how I was. I thought I would die an old lady on the mission field, and never have any kids, and never be married, and and that's what I wanted to do. That's who I wanted to be, and so I was surprised that I got married. Sorry, Jake. (laughs) He was so surprising. He changed my plans, but but I remember being, being younger and thinking, oh, I'll probably never get married because I'm really weird. And some of you guys, if you know me, you will say, yeah, you are kind of weird. <laughs> you are a weird person. I remember even after, it was probably a couple months after Jake and I had gotten married, and, and I was doing something, talking about something, I don't know, maybe trying to tell jokes. And he, he looks at me and he goes, I don't think anyone else knows how weird you are. <laughs> I was like, well, too late. You're stuck, right? This is too late. The other thing I remember thinking is I'm too loud. I'll probably never get married because I'm too loud, right? I don't have the right quiet personality. But we begin to think of these lies. I'm not married, and they all have to do with worth, right? They all have to do with our worth. And I want to tell you guys something today. There is no one in the world who is married because of their worth, Now, maybe there's people married because of their net worth, right? You guys are like, no, actually, there are some people, and the only reason they're married. Sometimes you see couples, and you're like, what is going on here? And then you find out how much money one of them has, and you go, okay, it all makes sense. Your net worth got you, right? But not because of your intrinsic worth. No one in the world is married because of their intrinsic worth. In the same way, no one is single because of their intrinsic worth. In fact, I was thinking about this today. How, what a silly lie that this is that we have because you think about Jesus. When, Jesus be, when God became a man and he walked on this earth, he was here for 33 years, right? But he never married. And yet we wouldn't say, oh, Jesus didn't get married because he was weird. Jesus didn't get married because he wasn't worthy. We would never say that. That's, that's bizarre. That's a bizarre thing to think. And yet we think about it about ourselves. And it's so easy to let this lie slip in. I'm not married because, and you fill in the blanks for the things that the devil tries to put in our head. And I'm here to tell you today, no one is married or single because of their worth. Because we are so worthy to God right? We are worth so much to him. You are worth more than anything to him. The second lie that we can begin to believe is that you are incomplete until you are married. You are incomplete until you are married. You know, last week, Jake, he spoke so well about, um, in Genesis, when God created man and woman. And one of the things that he was talking about was how we are created in the image of God. And I'm going to read Genesis 1, 26. To you, it says, this is in the message translation, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. And Jake talked about how we have to have both male and female. God is saying that male and female reflect the nature of God. And our only one concern last week when we were talking after church about the message and how it went was that maybe some people left thinking that you're you're only reflecting the nature of God when you're married as male and female when there's two together. But that's not what we were saying. What what he was saying was that God created man to reflect the nature of God, and he created woman to reflect the nature of God. And you need both of them in the church. You need both of them in our lives, actively pursuing God, doing what God wants them to do, speaking out the words of God in order to see the round picture of God. Does that make sense? It's not that you have to be married to be able to reflect the nature of God? Absolutely not. It's that we need both male and female in the church, right? Because both have something to offer. Both show a different attribute of who God is. Even though God created marriage and we're focusing on these things in this series, marriage isn't the goal of Christian pursuit. And that's so easy for us to forget, especially if you grow up in church. And and you are in the youth group and they talk about, you know, that one who's out there and you, you know, you gotta wait for them, and, and all of those things, which are all great and amazing teachings. But marriage isn't the end, right? Marriage isn't the end of our life. Marriage isn't the, the end of our pursuit. It's not that if you get married, you're successful. And in fact, so often we think that marriage is gonna solve all of our problems, right? And it's so easy as a single person to begin to think, you know, when I get married, I won't have this problem with lust. When I get married, I won't be so lonely. When I get married, I won't feel so insecure. When I get married and we fill in the blank for the things that marriage is gonna solve. I'm gonna tell you something, I've been married 10 years and it's been great, but it's been hard, right? Those of you guys in this room who've been married for 30, 40 years, you guys would say the same thing. It's been amazing and it's been hard. Why? Because marriage does not solve any of those problems. Marriage cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can save you. And if you are in if you feel like I have I you know I need a marriage to help me with my lust problem. I need a marriage to help me with my loneliness problem. I need a marriage to help me with my self-esteem. Your your marriage is only going to be worse if you don't get those problems figured out and given to God beforehand. Why? Because now you're just inviting another person with the exact same problems in your life. And now sometimes a load of debt, too right? And now we have 99 problems, right? We have so many problems at this point, you know, because I thought you were going to solve all of my issues and he thought he was going to, I was going to solve all of his issues and neither of us, well, obviously we're not good problem solvers because we couldn't solve our own issues. And we think that marriage can solve something and it absolutely cannot. It absolutely cannot. It is one aspect, marriage is one aspect of life that some of us experience, right? In the same way that you might have goals for your life. Like, oh man, I want to um, get married. I want to have kids. I want to own a home. I want to be able to retire when I'm 35. I said it really young because I'm getting closer to that age. So you might, you might as well dream big or something, right? But, but we, you know, I wanna do these things. Jesus doesn't promise us those things. The Bible doesn't promise us those things. And yet so many times with our limited view of who God is and everything that he wants to do for you, we begin to implement the American dream into what God has said he wants to give you. God never promised that we would all be married. God never promised that we would all have kids. God never promised we would all own a home, right? And so we have to learn How I can't wait until I'm married to begin my life. I can't wait until I'm married. Or I can't say that my life is successful until I'm married, right? Because that will only set us up for failure. In fact, Paul in the New Testament, he says something in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. and, And, you know, so many people debate this back and forth now. Like, Paul, what were you thinking? But he says in that verse, it's actually better that you would all remain single, right? And I always laugh I, with Jake, I joke about this, that if, if the church had obeyed Paul, the church would have died, right? <laughs> because there would be no Christians left if no one got married and had any babies after Paul had said this. But, but what was Paul saying? He was saying there's benefits to both being married and there's benefits to being single, and both of these things are seasons of life. And we have to be content with the season of life that God puts us in. He, Paul talks about how when, when you're married, suddenly you have a lot more cares in this world, right? The laundry is twice as much. Someone, someone you know, I don't know if, if, if the people that are married in this room, if it's mostly the guy who cooks or mostly the girl who cooks, but someone is always waiting for more food, right? And someone has to provide it. And, and, and so your life is more complicated. And what Paul is talking about is that if you're not married, you don't have these cares that are tying you more and more and more to this earth. And so you're free to remember that you're not made for this world. It's easier for you to live to remember, I am made for the purposes of God. It's easier for you to live pointing towards heaven. You know, the more kids I have, the more there are cares, right? The more that we worry the more I wanna see them grow up, the more I'm less tied to heaven and to Jesus, and the more I'm tied and connected here on earth. And that's what Paul was talking about. As long as you have it, life, it's a gift from God. Just as marriage will be a gift, God's gift, if you ever receive it, you, we should receive our situation in life, whether it's singleness or marriage as a gift Of God's grace to us. Why? Because God has given us life and that in itself is a miracle and that in itself is a gift. And so we have to learn to be content in every stage that we're in. So uh, as we end I'm going to go through this verse, and in 2 Timothy 2.22, how do we single well? How do we single well in our life? And I think 2 Timothy two 2.22 gives us a great little pattern, and this, honestly, you can use it for any, any stage of life that you're in, but it says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. This is such a good manual for all of us, right? Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Did you know it's saying youthful lust, so then we a lot of times we think, oh, they're talking about young people. No, anything that stimulates youthful lust. So anything that makes you into a youthful luster, right? (laughs) And what does that even mean to be youth? It means that you don't really have impulse control, right? You don't have, your brain is not fully developed. You're not making wise decisions. That's why it's talking about this. It's not saying that this is a problem that we only have when we're young. It's saying, don't lose your brain whatever age that you're at and start acting like you are young right and i think so many times when we see this line we say okay this is this is where lust starts and maybe for every single person in this room it's different but you know where it is it's a movie that you watch that you shouldn't watch right it's it's a link that you click that you shouldn't click it's a book that you read it's a fantasy it's it's you know winking too much at a coworker i'm joking cuz who's winking right But you know what I mean? It's it's engaging too long in a conversation that you know that this isn't good, right? And so we all have that line. You all have that trigger where you know, I can't go past that line. And if you don't know that line, man, start figuring out what your line is, right? But we all have that line. And and instead of fleeing from it, because that's what the Bible says. It says literally just run the heck away, right? Instead, we just always walk along it. Oh, I, I love this line. If only I could go over that line. Wow, that would be great. But I'm not going to do that because I go to church on Sundays. Right? And we stay so close to the line. But that's not what God is saying in this verse. You know, the, the other day, my kids were playing outside, and I'm trying to be more of a 90s mom instead of a 2017 mom. So I wasn't even out there with them, just doing my own thing inside. I was like, yeah, do it. Don't leave the yard and check on them every five minutes you know, but I'm trying to be more of a 90s mom and just let them free play, and so they're all out there, and they're in their garden area, and one of them kicked over um, a log, like, you know, rolled over a log, and um, a snake, a little tiny gardener snake or whatever, it comes, you know, slithering out, and so then I hear all of them screaming, I don't have, when it comes to creatures, we don't have brave kids, One time, Penny, she was really little. She just started walking, and she somehow got the door open and snuck out of the house, and then was screaming completely up against the door, just screaming. And so obviously I heard her, that she snuck out of the house, and I ran out there, and she was screaming, and there was a worm, a tiny worm, and she was yelling, snake. And I was like, thank God for your fear of snakes, because you didn't leave into the road or something, you know? But my kids, they come running, they're screaming, and then, you know, we hear them. Jake and I were standing in there, we hear them, and it's just like, you know, and then running in the house, and, and they're screaming, and we're trying to figure out what's going on, what happened? We rolled over a log, and a snake came out, you know? And a snake, and they're talking about it, and it slithered away, you know? And, and all of these things, they fled they were terrified of that snake. And that's what this verse is telling us to do, that we don't get close to the line, that we don't walk along the line, that we don't see how close can I get to sin? How close can I get to lust? How close can I get to sexual impurity without going over the line, right? That's not what this verse is saying. It's saying run away. Get away from it. My kids weren't trying to catch it right? They weren't like a crossland kid, right? You're grabbing that snake, keeping it as a pet, being like, look at my snake, right? That's not my kids. They were out of there. They weren't even going to go anywhere near it, okay? And then they didn't even go near the garden area for like an hour. And then an hour later, they're like, do you think we'll see that snake again? I don't know. Do you, right? They didn't even want anything to do with it. And this is how we are supposed to be in our life, This is how we are supposed to be. We are supposed to run away and get away and flee and not play around with fire. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. But then it gives us this playbook of what to build your life towards. It says, instead, pursue righteous living. So number one, pursue righteousness. What is righteousness? An easy way to remember, because it kind of starts with the same sound, is right living righteousness, pursue right living. Try to live your life without guilt and sin. Try to live your life. And obviously, every single one of us mess up all the time, right? Mess up this morning, right? (laughs) How many of you guys are like, yeah, I stubbed my toe and that was bad. I'm glad you weren't there to hear what I said, right? All of us mess up. But it's inside of our heart that we're saying, I'm trying to pursue righteousness. I'm trying to pursue living the right way. I'm trying to live my life following hard after God. The second one, pursue faithfulness. Are you a person who's faithful? What does that mean? It means to be true. It means to be constant. It means to be dependable, to be stable. Are you faithful? The Bible says to pursue it, to pursue being faithful to pursue love become a person who can show the love of God everywhere if 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 you didn't get to hear Jake's first message in this series he talked about eight or seven seven different greek words for love and it was so excellent i encourage you to go back and to listen to it and begin to say god are all these seven different kinds of loves are they working in my life am i this kind of person or am i not You know, when you read 1 Corinthians 13 and it says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it isn't proud, it isn't rude, it doesn't keep a record of wrong, right? When I read that scripture, I think, okay, let's put my name in it. Is Bethany not proud? Is Bethany not rude? John White's like, no, she's rude. (laughs) Do, Do I not envy? Do I not keep record of wrong? right? Because if any of, the, any of those things, if I'm not that, then I need to pursue love more. I need to be more of a loving person. I need to let that work in my life a little bit more. The next thing, sorry, I don't usually use an iPad. The next thing is pursue peace. What does peace mean? It just means freedom from disturbance. Man, freedom from disturbance. Can you imagine if your life had freedom from disturbance? Wow, how amazing. And all of our lives, there's lots of disturbance all around. But what this is, is being the kind of person that those disturbances, they don't get in, right? That we become people that we walk in peace, we wake up in peace, we go to sleep in peace. Anxiety and panic attacks, they are running rampant in in America, right? It's an epidemic. Why? The Bible says that Jesus literally is the Prince of Peace. So the more I go after Jesus, the more I let him in my life, the more I read my Bible, the more I seek his face, the more peace I have in my life. And today, if you're the person who suffers with anxiety, if you suffer with worry, if you don't go to bed with peace, if you don't wake up with peace, man, pursue God, go after him hard, because this is something that he says he is. And so this is something that he can bring into your life is peace. Pursue peace. And the last thing that it says is enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Man, find your tribe. Who are your people? Find your tribe. Who are the people in your life, your community that you can call on? I love Joy Church. I love being here on Sundays. But you know, this can't be your tribe. There's too many of us, right? And it's too scheduled. And if you have a problem, I mean, it's just it's impractical. This can't really be your tribe. You got to figure out what, what service your tribe is going to, you know? Oh, you're in the kids class? I needed you today, right? This, it's, it doesn't work. This can't be your tribe. But that's why we have joy groups, because we want that to be your tribe. We want that to be your community. We want that to be your 3 a.m. friends. Do you know what a 3 a.m. friend is? The person you can call at 3 a.m., Or text at 3 a.m. when you're in a crisis and you know that person is going to answer, right? Or you can show up at their door. Kelly Finley's like, don't show up at my door at 3 a.m. Anybody, okay? We will not answer. But but we need to find our community in life, those people who are going to laugh with you when you make a mistake and you're laughing too. Not laugh at you when you make a mistake and that you're down, but laugh with you in your life, that are gonna cry with you in your life, that are gonna celebrate with you in your life, that are gonna be there for you. You need a community. You need a tribe. That's what this verse is saying, is run from anything, right? Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Pursue righteous living, pursue faithfulness, pursue love, pursue peace, but also do it with the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Why? Because you need a community in your life. You need a tribe. You need a people to come around you and help you live this life. You know, as, as we close today... I want to tell you guys a quick story. And, and this story happens in the, in the book of Joshua. And there's this woman, uh, the Israelites, they're coming into the promised land, if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament. And they're coming in the promised land, and God is telling them to, to take, take down these big cities that are already living in the promised land. And the first city that they come upon is Jericho, and Jericho is a walled city right? Literally, there's huge walls all the way around the city. And so they send these two spies into the city. They sneak in and they're supposed to find out like, how are we going to take down this city? What are we going to do? And they go into this city and they meet this woman and her name is Rahab. And Rahab, it says in the Bible over and over again, that Rahab is a prostitute, right? And so they, they, this, but this woman, she takes them in she helps them. She even hides them. They find out, you know, the, the rulers of the city, the guards, whatever, they find out that there's two spies there. And so they're looking for them. And Rahab it literally hides them. And then she drops them down out, out of the window of the walled city and lowers them down to the ground. In the Bible, it, it honors Rahab. And it talks about Rahab. And in fact, in Hebrews, we call it the, the faith chapter because it talks about all the people in the Bible who are just pillars of faith that we're supposed to look to and that we're supposed to you know, um, be our example of how we should have faith. And it talks about her in Hebrews. It says, Hebrews eleven thirty one by an act of faith, Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. What happened was they said, Rahab, you had faith in us. You believed, what can we do? And she said, save me, save my family. We've heard about you guys and your God for years. And I believe your God is real. So can you save us? And they said, sure. When we come to attack the city, put a scarlet thread, scarlet, you know, scarf, whatever, in your window and everyone will know you don't touch that house, right? And so Rahab was saved in that moment. You know, as we go through this series on Loveology, you know, love is a hard thing. Relationships, they're hard. And so many of us, I would dare to say almost every single one of us, walk around with regret. And we walk around with shame. And we walk around with the feeling that maybe God can't change my story. Maybe God can't use me. Maybe I've done too much. Maybe I've gone too far. And maybe that's the reason. I'm single, that no one would love me. Or if I maybe I'm married, but if anyone, if you knew my story, you would reject me from your tribe, right? And so I love this story in the Bible because at some point Rahab, she basically joins the Israelites, right? She says, all right, now I'm following God the true God. I was raised in a different community. I wasn't raised around knowing this God. I was raised the way I was, and I lived my life the way I did. I didn't know any better, but now I'm choosing a different way, and she became like the Israelites, and it says in Matthew 1.5, they go through the genealogy of Jesus, right, and this was to fulfill prophecies in the Bible, but they're going through, and they're saying, Jesus, his birth, who he was, He was right from the right tribe. He's had the right lineage, right? But what's so interesting is that they name Rahab. That Rahab, which they say in in Hebrews, the Jericho harlot, was in the line of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And I just want you to hear that today, that Jesus always changes the story. Jesus always changes your story.